Who, buddy? <laughs> Going to be a fun one today, huh? How about all that breaking news? Good Lord. Let me put my seat a little bit lower. Well, that's as low as it goes. Well, I'm fucked. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. It is, uh, it is the, it's the first of the month. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Cash your checks and get up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Uh, it is time for episode 140 of my live chat. How are you doing? Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, this is, uh, what, (laughs) what an afternoon this turned into, huh? Kanye West goes into full, uh, well, I wouldn't even say anti-Semitism, just full on Nazism. And, uh, everything's all fucked up in Ontario, uh, uh, Canada, excuse me, not California. Uh, hi. Well, we have a lot to get to here today. So thank you for joining me. Uh, as you guys know, I put up a thread on, uh, Wednesday, you guys fill it up in the community tab here at youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. We'll get to your questions. If you have a paid question, which of course you are under zero responsibility or obligation to do, you can always enjoy this one for free. No questions asked, no issues with me whatsoever. But if you so choose and you'd like to leave a donation and put a question attached to it, we'll get to those at the end of the free portion, which is the majority portion of the show anyway. Yeah. All right. So let's see. There's Liver King stuff. There's this James Krause stuff. There's this. What else we got? We got UFC Orlando, actually a good good show. Pretty, pretty good show anyway on Saturday. There's one. No one's, no one's even talking about the fact that there's a one show tomorrow, which actually is pretty good too. We got a lot of stuff to get to, right? So uh, we should do that. Appreciate you guys joining me. Thumbs up on the video. Hit subscribe if you are new here. And uh, without further ado, let's get this party started, right? All right. Now let me make sure from my trusty steed, Othello, that everything looks good. Uh, all right. Everything looks good. Woof. What a day, boys and girls. What a day. Um, and the week's not even over yet. Huh? How about that? Um, let me get my glasses on and then we will kick this off. Uh, hope everyone's doing really well. I got to travel yesterday back in the Newark train station, but you know what? I was only there for like legit 10 minutes. Because I, I was, let me give you one tip, right? If you live in the Northeast, if you don't live in the Northeast, this is completely worthless to you. If you mid-Atlantic to Northeast area, what they call the Acela Corridor. So that's any stop basically between Washington, D.C., all the way through Philly or Baltimore, then Philly, you know, obviously Delaware before that, and then uh, New York, and then beyond that into Boston. So anything between D.C. and Boston is called the Acela Corridor, yeah? It's probably the only part of the Amtrak rail system that works pretty well, actually. Um, if you buy a plane ticket and you want to switch your flight, you can do it, but it can be sometimes a bit of a pain in the ass with Amtrak. It's like the easiest thing in the world. You can literally do it on your phone with just a push of a couple of buttons. Uh, I do it all the time. So, so I got to the train station. I was, I get in there a little bit early and I, I was like, there's a train 30 minutes before the one I was scheduled to get on, hit a couple buttons, actually got a refund because the ticket was cheaper. And, uh, and I was off to the races. I got home. Oh, Jesus, these things are still dirty. I got home like about, you would say, oh, well, it should correlate to 30 minutes earlier. I would say it correlated to about 45 based on a couple other factors. But um, it was it was awesome. So I was I got to the train station. I went and got a water. I got a vitamin water. I went upstairs. I waited for my train. I got on. And I went home. And it was great. All right, I got a seat a little bit lower here. Let's put this down too. Okay. 
Let's get to your questions, which we, again, I put up the thread. You all fill it up, and there we go. By the way, let's do it now. Excuse me, I'm going to do this like that. Folks have been asking, is this picture legit? Uh, my understanding is that it is. Dude, Connor looks fucking yoked, <laughs> right? Look at this dude. I'm not even mad at him. I, honestly, I'm like kind of thrilled for him. My, my fucking guy looks unbelievable right i mean i don't know who this fucking waste of space is but connor is uh he is jacked jacked by the way i had a tattoo uh artist talk about his tattoos and here's what he said he actually said i mean they've both kind of faded because you if you don't people don't realize this if you don't put on suntan lotion or other kinds of sunscreen on your tattoo it will fade over time i mean just the sunlight in general is going to essentially break up the uh pieces of coloring under the skin it breaks them up and then that essentially is they get they they can get diminished and diluted over time but i want to point out something here here is what his argument was which is a very like tattoo specific argument his basic argument was that if you look at this this is a style of tattoo it's all kind of like 2d this is called basically like american traditional i mean i'm sure obviously he's not american but that's the style of tattooing and this is a little bit more like portrait realism his basic argument was that you have on the same panel of skin two very different styles of tattoos. Uh, each one is fine, but mixing them is a little strange. And if you ask me, this one, the blasted chest piece with the gorilla with the heart in its mouth, is by far better than the other one where like the nose of the tiger or whatever the fuck is on is like a belly button. But okay, neither here nor there. Let's get to some of these questions. Oh, you know what? Before we do that, preamble very quickly, very quickly, preamble. Shout out, gotta do it, just gotta do it to Derek from More Plates, More Dates, uh, a YouTube channel. This guy, I mean, he has the most like no, it's, I love his channel for a lot of reasons. One, you know, where all content is kind of moving in this 15 second, 30 second, 60 second, sometimes 90 second windows where it's just, you know, all the app makers are looking for is just time of engagement on the app, but each piece of content you're looking at whether it's Instagram reels or TikTok or something, or even YouTube shorts, it's, they want you on the phone for 45 minutes scrolling, but each piece is a granular, like, you know, 30 seconds, 60 second kind of thing. He still does really long form stuff, which I really love. Uh, I really love that about like guys who lean into the, to the longer stuff is just, I think something that should not be lost. And he does it and he does it with like very complex topics and, you know, chemistry and biology and, and and the intersection between the two and then i'll obviously how it relates to strength and fitness sports but more than that if you guys didn't see you, you have probably heard that people they've discovered emails that the liver king sent in 2021 where he outlined the stack he was taking a stack is all of the essentially performance enhancing drugs you're taking to either build muscle burn fat whatever the various benefit might be that you're trying to get out of it and just on hgh he was taking 11k a month plus all kinds of other stuff on top of it. Um, which again, like I'm not even mad at him. Like Liver King's physique looks amazing, but he, as Derek outlines, is through these emails. And then of course he goes back and gets all the receipts. Liver King has been repeatedly asked, by the way, his name is Brian. Okay, so Brian, Liver King is his actual, well, is a stage name, but Brian is his real name. Brian has been asked about it repeatedly and has repeatedly denied. And it's like, dude, why did he deny it? One, so that he could have this outrageous physique. And then you, the basic idea was that he tried to have this outrageous physique, outrageous personality, outrageous title, and do these outrageous stunts built for the social media age. Also, he could just sell shit, 
right? Supplements or whatever the case um, may be. And that's fine. Like you can, you can have a crazy physique and sell stuff, but you have to be honest about how you got the crazy physique. And he was adamant over and over and over. They went through all the podcasts that this guy did. And he repeatedly denied that PEDs was even a part of it. And then even began to insult people who even suggested it was possible. And then they got these emails where they had basically confirmed that it was him. And then it, it turns out there's actually, I won't spoil it, but you have to watch the whole thing. There's a twist at the end of the video that you just can't fucking believe where truly truth is stranger than fiction. Truth is stranger than fiction. You guys know me. I've got of any person who covers any sport professionally, that you know, whether it is American football or hockey or boxing or MMA or baseball or whatever. I've got perhaps among any media member, truly among anyone out there right now at any major outlet, I've got the most lax attitude, uh, relatively speaking, about performance enhancing drugs in the sport. Of course, he's not competing in that sense. But what I cannot stand, what I cannot stand, and you see it among Hollywood actors as well, like how'd you get stacked and bricked up all like that or whatever. And they'll say, you know, chicken and broccoli. And of course, it's never chicken and broccoli. It's chicken and broccoli and D-ball and, you know, Tren and <laughs> and everything else under the sun that they've done, which, again, I wouldn't care if they were just honest about it. Like, yeah, I have a pharmacist who helps me get a certain kind of look. I think it looks better for the movies. I like it. I like being this way. Or I only do it for the movies. And when they're done, I get off of it and blah, blah, blah. Like, just have an honest conversation. I realize there's complications around that because a lot of these substances, especially in the way that they're being used, are illegal you know, to create some complications. But at the same time, like you just don't get to say factually incorrect things or outright lies and then expect that no one's going to say anything about it, right? There's This is this the bargain that you're making. And he went out of his way repeatedly to create an outrageous image that would go viral, that would help with virality, that would help with this outrageousness. And you, you, can, you can say, I know a lot of folks have the exact same response, which is anyone with half a brain can look at this guy and tell he was on something. You might think that. It's not as obvious as you think especially for young people. The hard line that I have where I am very anti-use of performance-enhancing drugs is when you are talking about minors. There is just no good reason for that. There is no acceptable use of that, except, again, under very, very medicinal doctor coordinated for some kind of medical ailment. But I just mean for guys who want to be stronger at 16 years old in the gym, this is totally, totally a bad idea. Really, 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 really bad stuff. People like that don't have a very good idea about what is achievable without drugs and even they might have suspected he was on something but they didn't they couldn't say for sure or how much turns out he was on a boatload of shit and uh and it's just dishonest it's dishonest it's extremely dishonest and it's frankly unethical it's unethical to do that um uh illegal probably not but unethical very much so and Derek got him got him good so Shouts to Derek from More Plates, More Dates. Um, that's solid work he did. And again, the twist at the end, you just can't believe. You just can't believe. Truth, truly, 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 truly is stranger than fiction. All right, let's get to these questions here as I ramble on stupidly. Uh, first one, Luke, I've been listening to you for almost a decade from Malaysia. Thank you. Uh, I started watching MMA because of a Taekwondo practitioner. I wanted to see how traditional martial arts would fare in the MMA rule set. Naturally, Wonder Boy is one of my favorite fighters. Okay. My question is, how would you rate Wonder Boy's time in the UFC, and would we ever see a successful specialist traditional point fighter in high-level MMA again? Obviously, he's done pretty well for himself. He's had a no, like, how many title fights? At least two with... So let's think about this. He had two title fights with Tyron Woodley. He beat some great contenders along the way. Um, I think he also was one of the guys... I mean, Pettis doesn't get credit in this way, 
that Pettis was a Taekwondo guy, and I think you did see evidence of that uh, to an extent, Benson Henderson. But what you really saw with Wonder Boy was this like, not a paradigm shift, but somebody borrowing at that time anyway, a very unusual style for what we had um, expected from MMA to that point. He just was a really kind of an outlier. And I think a lot of people didn't have a good answer for it. Some did, obviously. And I think um, the results have, have spoken to that over time. But you're asking, uh, how would you rate Wonderboy's time in the UFC? Very successful. Uh, not highly successful because he never captured a title. But in large part, very successful. Like, he's been a ranked... He's, I think, what is he, number six in the rankings right now? Right? Like, he is... And he's 38, 39 years of age. Yeah, he has done extraordinarily well for himself. Listen, I know there's a lot of talk on the hardcore side of, of uh, MMA Twitter about, you know, um, that people can rate him. The, the problem is people look at what he has done in MMA and then they're like, oh, he must be one of the best kickboxers on earth. No. That's when you begin to take a leap outside of things. Perhaps in the style in which he competed, um, he has some genuine claim to all-time status. I don't, I don't know. I've not followed that world. But I can tell you among like among kickboxers, and again, it depends on the rule set, but in pro kickboxing, no, that would not be true. But as a guy, I mean, just just what you always have to think about is the the how do i say this exactly innovation in professional mma is and you know this is always ongoing but sometimes there and this was especially true earlier gets less true over time but certainly at the time in which he came in around which was like when he fought uh dan stigeon when his ufc debut and then he fought matt brown uh in atlanta that was the john jones rashad evans card so what was that about 10 years ago plus something like that about 10 years ago and uh around that time he had a completely different style which he had well adapted at least early on for most mma purposes his ground game needed to get bulked up but he just took advantage of a gap in the innovation space now that gap still exists to an extent because most guys don't do what he does, so he still retains some advantages. Although we now know what works against him and what doesn't much better than we once did, but really that's his contribution. He just sort of really reminded us that virtually any style, virtually any style, or big components of disparate styles, all can work in MMA with uh, a, a certain set of adjustments that go along with it. And he made one of those. Now your ask, your second question was. Would we ever see a successful specialist traditional point fighter in high-level MMA game? I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. As long as there's a good one who wants to test himself and their money is right and for whatever reason they want to keep competing past whatever they did, yeah, I mean, this is inevitable. It is inevitable. Um, uh, they're going to have to have a, maybe a special case, a little bit more wrestling of a background growing up or aptitude picking it up later in life. There's going to be some considerations there. Um, but I, I, I'll just warn you. Do I think that that style is the best style to transition into MMA from some kind of composite combat sport? No, I don't, right? I don't. I don't think it's the best one, not even close. However, a big mistake you will make, a huge one, is saying, oh, well, it just really can't be done. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. It absolutely can be done, perhaps infrequently, perhaps only by the right operators, but declaring in some kind of blanket way that this is an impossibility or blah, blah, blah. Um, no, 
that is a really bad idea. Let me check something here real quick. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. All right. Going back here. Let's take a look. All right. Look, seeing how Wei Li, Zhang Wei Li, was able to evolve and add tools to her game after a loss has been wondering. Do you think Askren, spelled wrong, would have a UFC belt at home if he'd come to the promotion in 2014? Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. The thing is, Ben all, like, if you go... Like, what's Ben's best performance in Bellator, right? Pre-1. What's his best performance? I would argue his fight against Koreshkov. I mean, he beat the fuck out of Koreshkov. I mean, I don't know what the... I don't remember what the stat line is anymore, but... Um, dude, like, that was a that was a drubbing. That was a drubbing. Let me look up his resume, just so I'm not talking completely out of turn here. Um... I thought that if that guy at that moment had been able to transition to the UFC, that would have been a little bit more interesting. Let's go back here and look, right? So let me fill you guys in on this. Put up these ads here. Darn, darn. All right, let's 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 look at this, shall we? Here we go. So he has this wrestling at the Olympic Games, blah blah blah. All right, so in MMA in the Missouri regional fights, he beats the fuck out of some some scrubs. Uh, and then he beats Ryan Thomas at Bellator 14 twice and then Bellator 19, Dan Hornbuckle, which was this interesting guy who had like a native American background. Then Lyman good. Remember him? He, I think he was champion at the time. I don't remember exactly. Nick, the goat Thompson, Nick, the goat Thompson beat Eddie Alvarez and ended up being an attorney. I don't know if you guys know that Nick Thompson was a great interview back in the day. Then he beat Jay Huron, beat the shit of Douglas Lima. Then he beat psycho Carl Amasu, who just lost recently in Aries FC and here. Right here, when he beat Koreshkov in 2013, so this is to your point about it, when he beat Koreshkov after, at Bellator 97, I mean, it went to the fourth round, as you can see here, but that is a real bad way to, to look at it. That was one-way traffic, I think multiple rounds. Do they have the, I wonder if they have the actual results via, let's see here. Do they have the... I guess we don't have the judges' scorecards at that point. He, he became 12-0. and 0. I do wonder at that point, I guess in the 2014 question, sorry, I wasn't sure exactly what the timeline was, if he had switched, if that would have been a good point. Um, I think it would have improved his chances, number one. But just here's the reality. Like, he never really, and I, I think he would tell you this, I don't think I'm in any way insulting him by saying he never really got great at striking. And I think partly he just maybe didn't necessarily have the aptitude for it. Maybe he didn't have the appetite to really train it, thinking that his wrestling and his grappling, submission grappling, would get him far enough. And in many ways, it it, it did get him pretty goddamn far. Uh, but like, you know, just being in the UFC at that point, if you don't have the proper training and then motivational apparatus in place, it's not going to magically make everything better. Like there has to be a certain level of commitment and hunger for that development to happen. And you could say, well, the fact that he went to one didn't put the same kind of competitive pressure on him to get better. 
right well maybe he just wasn't inviting the same kind of competitive pressure you know also it's the price that's the like and if he's not inviting it because he actually doesn't want it then it wouldn't have made any difference if he had gone to ufc in terms of getting a striking up to that level so it's a lot of unknowns it's a lot of counterfactuals that make you know a very clear uh, answer in this case hard to come by but the, the real answer is there has to be youth on your side a relative lack of injury uh history more or less the right kind of training environment the right kind of commitment as a student and maybe at that point he just didn't really have it anymore. You know, the guy had gone and had an, an unbelievable career wrestling in in high school and then college. Went to the Olympic Games. You know, was a was was doing great in Bellator. And I'm not sure. I, I don't know what he wanted. You'd have to ask Ben. I don't know what he wanted, but it just doesn't seem to me like getting really good at striking in the ways that Zhang Weili has gotten really well rounded was something he was deeply interested in. And if it doesn't, if it's a thing he didn't want to do. Um, I, you know, one or UFC wouldn't have made a difference there probably in the end. Uh, okay, so let's see here. What, excuse me, let's go back. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, I guess everything got messed up as a consequence. Uh, this was the question that was there. Uh, what do you think BC's lift total would be? Assuming he lifted anything heavier than AG1 shaker. Hold on, because my kid just got home. She is about to open my door. There we go. Um, let's see. Bench. 200, maybe more, but I'll say 200. Nah, you know what? I'll give him, I'll give him a one rep max of 225. Uh, that's probably overstating it, but I'll say that. So then squat. I'll say two, 225. So now we're at 450. Deadlift. I'll say 225. <laughs> so what would it be at 675? Something like that. It's probably where he's at. 675. All right. Let's go back. There we go. Uh, okay. Hi, look, hypothetically, how many weight categories up a top five ranked fighter can go to beat a non-ranked opponent? So let's say could potentially Jan beat someone from Bellator or a non-ranked opponent at lightweight or welterweight? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you guys ever hear of Igor Vovchanchin? Um, let's pull up his resume. Old Igor used to fight in uh, original Ukrainian. Uh, he fought in Pride, and uh, they, well, his nickname was Ice Cold. Fucking love that dude. He was five eight. He was big, but he was really short. And I mean, here, let me pull up his resume for you. Look at this thing. I mean, this guy fought, I mean, all over the place. 1995, this guy's fighting in who the fuck knows where. I mean, half these guys probably had bloodborne diseases. But remember, he fought Paul Varlins in, uh, this was, he fought him in Kiev, Ukraine in 1996. Varlins, for folks who don't know, was six foot eight and 300 pounds. Vovchanchin, by contrast, was 205 pounds. At least that was the weight class. And he was just five foot eight. So and that's just the the long and short. Of, I mean, that's that's just the barely. That's the we're, we're not even talking about all the other guys he he got in here and fought. Um, uh, Otsuka, Goodrich, Sakuraba, Ensign Inoue, Takata, Kerr. I mean, he fought fucking Mark Kerr and beat him in two thousand. Gilbert Ivel, Valentine Overeem, who was obviously uh, Alistair's brother, and look at all the other guys he fought: Heath Herring, Quentin Jackson, Mirko Krokop, Dan Bobish. You ever seen Dan Bobish? Dan Bobish. He's now fifty two. Wasn't that tall? 310 pounds fought at super heavyweight in MMA and it goes on and on and on from there like these guys fighting people who are just way 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 naturally bigger than them like I don't know 
if Jan is the guy to go and do it, but do I think someone from 135 who's very, very good in UFC could go and beat some unranked guy at like, you know, uh, to your point, Bellator, some unranked guy, Bellator up at maybe 170 pounds? Yes. Yes, I very much do. I mean, just think about it like realistically. If you're, if you walk around, your walk around weight, let's say is 185 pounds, right? Walk around weight. Do I think Jan or Henry Cejudo could beat you? I think they would beat you within an inch of your life before you could even fucking blink. So you can get someone who's trained who could resist, right? But the idea, and of course, if you're 170 pounds, that means you're probably off cutting weight closer to two. But even then, do I think that they could beat a 200 pound fighter who wasn't nearly as good as them in MMA? Yes. Yes, I do. I very much believe that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Good question. If you could design your own smart cage, what metrics do you think would be the most useful for viewers? Well, not the ones that the PFL does. I could tell you that much. I mean, listen, two things you would need, I think, okay, one big one you would need is not just a tallying of what they are throwing. And they, they do some stuff, right, with PFL, like leg strikes, arm strikes. And it's like, how are they dividing in terms of the hemispheres, north and south, the targeting that kind of matters, right? So that's that's valuable. But like, dude, I don't know, I don't know who the fuck at the PFL thinks putting miles per hour on these strikes is in any way helpful to any of us. It, I, just somebody who is wasting everyone's time, and then they put this fucking billboard of meaningless stats on the screen so that it is makes it harder to watch the action. A disaster, truly a disaster. I mean, they've got to stop that. I've been saying it for years. Obviously, they're not going to listen to me, but perhaps if more of you complain, they would. Um, anyway, so in terms of metrics, I would ask for is one, obviously tallying what is happening in a fight, which is, by the way, hard to do to get that an accurate read. It's not the same in football where if someone rushes for six yards, they don't have they don't have to go back and like, oh, well, was it six or was it eight and a half? Like they kind of know right away. So the stats are instantaneous. Getting a smoother and quicker process by which to get accurate stats is important. Guys, the stats you see on the screen during the broadcast are very much not accurate. Sometimes they're accurate, but they're often wrong or like off in certain ways, too high, too low, you know, consistently too low, consistently too high. They're not, they're not very good. So you need something that's a lot more accurate. That'd be one thing I would want them to get. The second thing is, and this is to me quite important, is when a when a baseball player goes up to the plate, right? You know what their batting average is that season. You know what their lifetime batting average could be. You know what their batting average is in that month. You know what their batting average is in that playoffs. You know what their batting average is against lefties versus righties. You know what their batting average is versus that particular pitcher, right? I don't need all of that necessarily. I don't know how helpful all of that would be if you could even find the equivalent. But what I do think would be helpful is for fights that go five rounds or even three, a three round fight, hell, even two rounds, um, having an understanding of what are the numbers they turned in in this fight? How does that match their historical average? So if they land, let's say, four strikes uh, per minute, right? That's what they land. And then in the fight, they landed seven. You're like, wow, that's obviously a lot, but how does that match up to their statistical average? Or for example, think of it the opposite way. 
where if their average is four and then they lose a disputed decision, but then you notice that their output was only two, um, you can sort of make some uh, assumptions about what was happening here relative to their historical levels of performance that not only tell you and inform your judgment about the fight itself, but about what it means that their opponent did to them and how they did it. Like, for example, Volkanovsky has this depressive effect on the offensive output of his opponents. They don't get, they don't, they don't throw as much. They just can't do as much because they're kind of locked in to this fainting system that he gets going. So seeing how they could perform against their historical averages in similar scenarios or against similar kinds of opponents or against the exact same opponent, something like that I think would be really, really helpful. How did this person, what's their, what's this person's stats lifetime? Or in the case of like, say, Max and Volk, right? You had two fights heading into the third one, obviously. How does his performance against those two fights measure up against his otherwise historical totals against all the other opponents? What does that tell you, right? So those kinds of things. That, to me, is what I would want to see. And by the way, the other thing I would say is also, like, um, UFC is really good about this because they own 3027, formerly known as Fight Metric, but Bellator doesn't have an online database of stats. I wish they did. To my knowledge, PFL doesn't have an online database of stats. Now, I know they have somebody who does it for them. I forget the name of the company, but um, and I could be wrong about this, but I don't think that they have an online searchable database that has stats in them. I would love to see one. I think we would all benefit. I would benefit from that pretty dramatically. So, um, yeah, that's what I would want to see that, for me. I mean, you could, you're, you're asking like, oh, what about other kinds of things? I think leg reach is also kind of important, which PFL does, which I like. Um, but you know, like miles per hour on the strike, like utterly insignificant content does not matter. All right. Look, if using PEDs was essentially legalized, so I think pride. Okay. Do you think the grapple heavy style that the Dagestanis typically employ would be as successful, less successful, more successful? Someone says, I recently watched the Gleason T-Bow and Nurmagomedov fight, and one thing that stuck out to me was how physically strong T-Bow looked to me. Habib really struggles to secure a takedown in that fight, seemingly largely due to the physicality of T-Bow, though I do realize T-Bow is also exceptionally skilled. Right. It's not like T-Bow is some scrub, but, um, uh, turn the knob told you she was gonna do it here's what i would say um partly i think we we would want to invite surprise um about what it the effects could be in other words i think we should all keep an open mind about what they could be but i would think that I wouldn't expect a dramatic alteration. Um, again, individual matchups notwithstanding. But the reasoning would be this. If you were a fighter who before you didn't want to take anything because you didn't want to be in trouble, but now it's all above board and you can take whatever you want, it does seem possible that the drugs could do things for you that limited some of the things you wanted to do before about maybe potentially rationing offense or you wanted to lean into your wrestling more but it was too tiring so you couldn't and now you could i think that is true and it could do it but the reality is a fighter's style that they fight is very much an expression of who they are and what they like to do right they like to fight a certain way and what i think would mostly happen is that if there was just a free-for-all, you would get some changes. And again, matchup depending, it would have a pronounced effect one way or the other. 
But I think in general, what you would get is simply more of what that person already liked to do, a more dangerous version of it, potentially, right? Again, some people respond. So one of the things about Liver King that was interesting was he was looking for help because he was taking in this enormous amount of HGH and wasn't getting nearly the kind of effect from it that he wanted. And, and he surmises in the emails that he was uh, a sort of had one of these hyper cases of not being able to um, um, get anything out of it. And in fact, Derek from More Plates, More Dates was even saying that there was something to that, that like the amount he was taking and then the effect he was getting from it didn't really match. There must have been, he must have some kind of genetic component that makes him a bit of a hard gainer in that sense. Anyway, so what I think you would get is, would you just have to remember, as I indicated, just an expression of someone's personality. And so with that, um, there would be changes. I want to be very clear about that. And then the last thing I'll say in it one more time, individual matchups in a pronounced way. But in general, if a fighting style is a function of personality, I think that more than anything would be the, the determining factor about what it might look like. Thoughts on the Wonder Boy Holland matchup? You got to tune into MK tomorrow. We'll go into more detail about that. Um, I think the can Holland stand with Wonder Boy for five rounds? Yes, or should he try and use a grappling heavy game plan? I think grappling probably should be a part of it, but I will tell you that the biggest thing for me is limiting his movement. If Wonder Boy has movement, right? If he has space to go around, he's much, much, much harder to beat, significantly so. It's not a question of standing versus grappling. It's a question of constraint or lack of constraint. Grappling is by definition constraint, right? Grabbing the arm, collar tie, slide by, take the back, right? There's constraint in movement, right? But even standing, there can be constraint in movement. But the question is, will he employ a strategy like that? That's to be the defining question there. Um, all right, here's an interesting one, I think. Let's see. Luke was wondering if I could get some advice. Started training MMA and Jiu-Jitsu about three years ago. Did some competitions and enjoyed it. However, I recently stopped training due to my new job slash burnout and not having enough hours in the day. I thought MMA was what I was going to do, but now it seems like a pipe dream I left behind. Not sure how to come to terms over losing passion or something I truly had high hopes for. Um, not sure how to come to terms over losing passion over something I truly had high hopes for. Well, someone is going to read this and say, is it really true you can't train? Is it really true? And again, I'm not. And everyone, re okay, assholes read this and go, yeah, of course you have time to train. You fucking people don't know. You don't know if this guy works in a fucking coal mine or what his job is doing to him or what his commute is or what the available training situation is like. You don't know. You don't know. So stop pretending you know. It is worth asking. I will say that it is worth asking about whether it's actually true that training. No, you also mentioned that's burnout. So that could be a part of it too, obviously. But is it actually true that you can't train due to uh, having enough hours in the day? That is a question worth asking. And only you really know the answer to that. However, what I would say is um, about burnout. If you are feeling burned out in that moment, it is very difficult to find a way to keep going, right? Um, and burnout can feel like a lot of different things. It can be like this almost existential burnout from long periods of time, let's say like a decade or so, right? Or it can even be from a shorter time frame, six months of extremely high intensity work that just really grinds you to a stop. 
But I will say this, and again, only you really know the answer to this. A lot of people confuse the difficulty that comes with plateauing with burnout. Um, you got to figure that out for yourself here a little bit. So first, let's figure out those questions. Is it really true that you can't train? Is it really true that it's burnout? It could be. I'm not saying I'm, I'm in no way suggesting that it's not. The last thing I want to do is undermine your actual feelings. But at the same time, if you do have a goal and you really do want to get good at something, um, you have to find ways to... Motivation only works in short bursts. You have to have some kind of discipline and adherence to practices that are in conjunction with goalkeeping. But if it is true, let's say actually it is true what you're saying. It's really true that like, I just, I'm fucking done with this. I don't really want to do it anymore. And what does it mean that I don't have this passion anymore? Dude, that is life. That is, there's nothing, you should not feel bad about that. You should not feel down about that. You should not feel, uh, I mean, you can have a longing for something that you thought was going to be and now it's not. I don't think that's in any way inappropriate, but like, dude, who you are at 20 is not who you are at 30. And is not who you are at 40. Now, if you never work on yourself, of course, it'll be the same. And of course, some problems follow you and personality traits carry through. You're not utterly distinct. But in terms of the things you like, in terms of the things that interest you, in terms of the things that appeal to you, even three years can be enough of a test case to be like, yeah, I don't really know if I want it. If that's the case, then just move on. Then just move on. Then realize that was a part of your life for that time. And your life is in a different place today and that's okay. It doesn't have to be back there. Um, and that is that, that is, that is the undulating difficult to predict sometimes mystifying or otherwise, um, saddening course of life. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I thought for sure, uh, when I got into the military, I was going to become a Marine Corps officer five years later. I was like, yeah, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. I don't feel bad about that. I don't feel bad about doing just one term in the Marine Corps for a total of six years. I don't feel bad about that at all. Um, if you had told me that at the beginning of boot camp that this is how it's all going to end, I'd be really surprised. But that was just how it went. My life was in a different place by the time my contract was up. Um, if you had told me that all oh, my mat time, I, I think the last time I rolled, maybe 2016, something like 2017, something like that. I can't quite remember anymore. I don't really remember. If you had told me then, that was the last time I was going to roll. I wouldn't have believed you, but it, the, my life moved in a different direction. You know, I, I work out with my workout today, kicked my ass with my kettlebells here in my office. It's like some of the hardest shit I've ever done. If you had told me at the beginning of the pandemic, this is what I'd be doing. I would just wouldn't have believed you three years later. Here we are. The, your life will go in these kinds of directions. Sometimes, uh, sometimes with your full knowledge and acceptance of it, sometimes just by the, 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 the undertow of life that it pulls you. That is okay. What you really have to figure out, though, is it, if it is actually true that you don't have time to train and what your actual experience is. It's totally common to feel like you have burnout. Um, but I got to tell you, like, I've had burnout in MMA multiple times, multiple times. The thing I keep going back to was, and it wasn't easy to get through this at first, I, I found the first time I got through my first phase of burnout, it was maybe like five, six years in. I, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, you know? And then I realized there was like some new twist to the story I could follow. And I just 
followed that. I stayed in the same industry, obviously, but I kind of followed, and maybe it wasn't obvious to some of you out there, but it was to me, slightly different threads I began to pull on. And so I was able to maintain uh, working in the industry just by doing slightly different things. And once I did, like everything felt great again, not immediately, but certainly over time. And again, that would run its course. And then I would try and do something else. Like you, you, you gotta be sure, you know, that it's actually true. You can't train and you actually feel like burnout because there's nothing wrong with being burned out, but you shouldn't confuse, uh, dead ends and plateaus or I should say perceived dead ends, and then probably real plateaus with burnout. They are distinct. They are distinct. They feel the same sometimes. They're not. Or, again, you actually were like, yeah, I can't do this and I don't want to do this anymore. Then be glad you did it. Be grateful you did it and move on to something else. That's life, bro. That's life. All right, here. here here's, here's my advice to everyone. Ready? The book is about many things, but... This is this is this is my favorite thing. Oh, Luke, something I liked didn't last. Something I liked didn't work out the way I thought it would. Something I like, you know, um, I, I was hoping it would go a different way, or you know, um, here here's my answer to that. <laughs> you ever read this book? It's a very different book than what I'm describing, but the title is very helpful in sort of stating my point. Things fall apart. Things fall apart. That is, you're just living life. That's it. All right. Uh, good question. Can you suggest a fight or fights or fighter or fighters pre-2004 that people should check out? I'm going through early years of the UFC and Fight Pass. That's an easy, easy call. Evan Tanner, I think it's a great call for everyone. Evan Tanner is a guy who was truly unique. There's a documentary out about him. I think Ryan McKinnell features in it, um, as well as I think maybe Andreas Hale's in it as well. Uh, as well, excuse me, I'm not sure. R.J. Clifford's in it. There's a lot of guys I know who are in it. Um, it's how I discovered the band Deer Tick from one of their songs that's featured in the in the movie. Evan Tanner was truly one of a kind. Truly, truly, truly a very, very unique character in the sport. Um, he'd be one to follow. Sean Shirk. Sean Shirk would be a great one. Matt Hughes would be another great one. Pat Militich would be another great one. Um, you could even go back to early Pride, Hicks and Gracie. Uh, I, I really, you could go and watch, like, how did Kazushi Sakuraba become the, what was known at the time as the Gracie Hunter? Go watch how, go watch the Gracies he pounded into oblivion and, uh, and or submitted and, you know, rearranged their arms and whatnot to uh, the case of Henzo. Um, how did he get that nickname? Like, you know, pre 2000, there were some interesting guys doing things. Obviously, Dan Seven was doing some interesting stuff and Oleg Taktarov and, and whatnot, but I would say it was around 2002 or three for me, where the worm began to turn. Jens Pulver's another one, you know, before BJ Penn completely fell apart and was doing whatever he was doing. But Sean Shirk, Evan Tanner, Mark Coleman, go look at the 2005, 2000, was it the 2000 either open or heavyweight Grand Prix that Pride put on, how he won that. Go look at that, like endless, dude, endless. Kevin Randleman, Kevin Randleman was fucking people up from the word go. Go check him out. Uh, there's this i could this is endless there's so many interesting guys who if they came around now you'd be like Ooh, what would they have done you know what would, what would that have been like uh luke do you ever think ufc will move towards a season schedule eg the N nba or nfl or no 
they will never do that. There's no real incentive to do that. Like, why would they do that? You know, um, they benefit from actually not doing that. They benefit from having this. The reality is that one, I think that when all the seasons are off, UFC likes being on. That's one thing. And then the other part too is, dude, they just have enough. They have to feed content to ESPN, to their Brazil partners, to their Canadian partners, to their overseas partners in Europe, Africa, Asia, all over the world. They have to have enough content to feed all these partners, to feed all of this. They have to have enough divisions. They have to have enough people fill the divisions. They have to have enough events where it's at this stage, it's not even possible to do that. It's not even possible to have anything other than what they've got. Um, I'm not going to say they're, they couldn't cut here or there, but in general, they couldn't go to any kind of seasonal format, nor would it benefit them. They like it being on when everyone else is off. And anyway, they have too much obligation out there in terms of fixed contractual revenue that they have to deliver on in content. It's just not possible. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Uh, this is the one I saw earlier. Luke, if you had to pick both your best and also your worst MMA takes or predictions, what do you think you would pick? For example, I was a long time. I, I, I was for a long time fully on board the Kevin Lee hype train with you for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how things have gone, although I would say that, you know, Kevin Lee's still in the middle of his career. But, okay, that one didn't quite work out. Um, I mean, I've had some boneheaded predictions. Uh, the, the worst prediction was one that I never really made because I didn't, it, the fight never happened. But I remember like vociferously arguing back in the day. This is a long time ago. It's like 2006 or seven or something, you know, that uh, Matt Lindland would be a terrible fight for Anderson Silva. And um, I don't think that's true. I don't think that, I don't think that would have worked at all. Um, that would have been a real, real bad one especially around the time that he fought like Rich Franklin or Dan Henderson, you know? So that was a real stupid one. Um, although I've had some other whoppers. Um, some of the better ones. Also, like, I kind of thought back when Gina Carano was done, here was my own poverty of imagination. I was like, well, once she's done, the lesson from Carano was that actually with the right rule set and the right partners and everything else in place, Women's MMA can be popular. And I took from it quite the opposite lesson, quite stupidly, that, well, without her, then this the whole thing falls apart. Totally the wrong lesson. That's another stupid prediction I've had. Um, and again, I'm sure you guys have picked up on other ones uh, over time. You're, you're going to you talk as much as I do. You're going to say enough things that you regret. In terms of good predictions, there was that one event uh, I... I blew the third night but there what they had done three nights in a row ufc of like thursday friday saturday night and i remember thursday and friday i gotten both cards completely right top to bottom that was a good weekend now i completely fucked up the third one which was the most important one but just in terms of like the numbers in those days those were good days so that was a good one in terms of like other predictions um I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and think about it. But, uh, you know, in terms of what did you say, takes or predictions, I, I, um, yeah, you'd have to tell me. I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure. Okay, let's see here. 
UMBC were talking about fights that could do 2 million pay-per-view buys. I don't think a single fight could ever do those numbers again. No, that, totally wrong. Do you think a UFC main card with five title fights like PFL just did could bring in more than 2 million buys? No. Also, which five fights and challengers would you make? I, I, first of all, just in terms of broadcast time, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, it is true, or at least I think it is true. There's a good argument to make, it seems to me, that there is no permutation existing that could get you 2 million buys. Maybe Conor McGregor versus Patty. Maybe. I doubt that, though. Uh, I mean, I think it would do really well, but 2 million is an, a historic, extraordinary number. We're talking about a handful that have ever done that much. Right? Um, I, you know, again, there's just, I, I said to BC, Mike Tyson making his UFC debut, but like even that, I don't, I don't, I just don't know what that would do if that's even physically possible. But in terms of like existing fighters, I don't know that there is an existing permutation that gets you to two. But like, once again, oh, ever again, guys. If a Conor McGregor existed before, it's not to say that it's a dime a dozen. What it is to say is you'd be very foolish in thinking someone else can't come along. It might be a while, but someone else can't come along and in their own way rearrange the game. I, I lived at a time when the idea of a Conor... Dude, I remember pre-Conor McGregor what he was doing. Like The reason why Conor McGregor was so special, and Ronda Rousey to an extent as well, like everything on what she was doing, the reason why what they were doing is not just because they hit high benchmarks. It's because they made it, they shattered old ideas about what was possible. Guys, someone else will come around and change existing ideas about what is possible. Now, the pay-per-view market is different now than it was in 2015. Um, and, you know, it, it may not be a one-to-one -one kind of thing, but you'd be very, I could caution strongly against thinking, that's the end of history. It stops at Conor McGregor. No, it doesn't. He is a uh, integral, extremely important part of it, and perhaps is the most important part in the modern era. Him, him, and Ronda together. But do I think like no one else could ever do that again? I absolutely think someone will do that again, and they will surpass it. You will if you if you watch MMA another twenty years seems to me very reasonable to think that somebody will be as popular or more popular than him. Quite confident in saying that, you know. Ooh, good question. Um, what regions of the U.S. do you think contain the best regional promotions? In large part, the answer to this is a function of like where it's popular. So Southern California would be one place, but the other one is like where they have good commissions actually. So like New Jersey, CFFC was a big one. South Florida has turned into one uh, to an extent. Um, Texas has some ones. Colorado has ones. Uh, South Southern California, any place where there's like a lot of teams, a lot of practitioners, and then a corresponding like decent commission. That's where you tend to see the best regional shows. And like also the regional shows that tend to stand out above the other ones. Like a CFFC tends to stand out. LFA tends to stand out. Now, CFFC is like very much New Jersey-ish specific. Uh, LFA is a little more Texas. Other parts, you know, they, they travel all over in certain ways. But that's your answer. Um, anyway, all right. 
Uh, okay, here we go. Hi, Luke. Does MMA have a heavyweight problem since twenty twenty? Excuse me, since twenty ten, there's only been thirty six heavyweight title fights between the UFC, Bellator, and one. That's three point six per year. Can this problem be fixed? If it is how it, it, it uh, in boxing, the heavyweight division makes the sport more interesting. Can the same? Not always. Guys, I lived through the Klitschko era. I can tell you it was nothing but complaints. It was nothing but complaints. Nothing but complaints over and over and over again about how boring and shitty and awful and pathetic and a waste of ever. Like, do you guys remember when Valuev was the champion? People weren't beating down the doors to tell you how great heavyweight MMA or heavyweight boxing was at the time. They do a lot of what they do now, which was, oh, well, back in the foreman and back in the whatever days, Ali days, it was. But let me assure you, the idea that like heavyweight boxing has made the sport more interesting for the, the entirety of its existence is flat out not true. Um, first of all, I'd, I'd have to double check this math. I don't even know if this math is true. Let's assume for a second that it is. No, this is basically what you're going to get. Does it have a problem? Sure, it has a problem that we talked about before. Um, the very best, certainly in the United States and in other places as well, the very best heavyweight athletic talent doesn't get recruited into combat sports very regularly they go in a lot of other places and that really diminishes the talent pool the way that these divisions are is not an accident promoters if they could find a great heavyweight talent or a lot of great heavyweight talent they would it's hard to find that's why when kane velasquez came around he was a fucking unicorn right a guy who was mexican american but mexican as well with roots certainly in that part of the country too he was american as well you can pick whatever you want you live, you live in both when you're that way and had a wrestling background, was with a good team, again, a heavyweight to begin with from a Mexican background, and had endless cardio. He was a fucking unicorn. He was a unicorn. If they could find more of those guys, they would. They don't exist. So, you know, I don't know if your math is right. It could be totally made up. I have to take your word for it at this point. But I just think, you know, if you want to get more people of that size into MMA or combat sports, you have to do heavy recruiting and you have to do, you have to make it really worth their while. And I just think between how difficult it is and how brutal it is and how much more financially lucrative and not easier, but like, you know, you don't have to go and fist fight another person for your dollars. It's, you're just going to get what you're going to get, you know? Let's see here. All right. Let's see. Okay, let's go to this one. Fighters like Tony Ferguson, Stephen Thompson, and Stipe Miocic have historically trained out of small camps built around themselves more or less. Do you believe they would have been more successful at a more preeminent gym camp like ATT? Dude, we're talking about three very fucking good fighters. And in the case of Miocic, extremely good. How, how, how much better could he have been? Or is having the camp and gym focus solely on themselves and what allowed them to not get crowded out by other fighters at some bigger world-class gyms? Obviously personalities between fighters their teammates and coaches plays a lot into one success at these camps 
But I find myself thinking that Wonderboy might have had more success if he had gone to a gym that could have got him more prepared to deal with grappling, for instance. I'm not so sure. Also, glad to hear you're quitting vaping. Trying, trying. I can't quit cold turkey, but I've only had like two puffs today total. So I am trying. It's not so easy. But by the way, the benefits are nearly immediate. Like I feel already quite a lot better. All right, answer the question. Listen, it is obviously going to be... Okay, so back up. 10, 15 years. Why did all these fighters get into these super camps, the AKAs, the ATTs, or whoever else? Jacksons for a time. So even Jacksons to, today to an extent. Why did they do that? They did that because it was an easy way to get access to a bunch of trainers. Everyone shares costs. And so, uh, and also like in not so much in boxing where it's this is not the case, but certainly in MMA and, or sorry, excuse me, certainly in wrestling and jujitsu, getting a lot of different uh, people to to wrestle or to roll with is really just how those sports work anyway. Now, of course, in wrestling, it, it's not the same as jujitsu, where and, and even in competitive jujitsu, it's not the same as hobbyist jujitsu, where in hobbyist jujitsu they're like roll with everybody. In competitive jujitsu, it's very much like hey, the competition team versus each other, not really on anyone else. So, but you get the idea. Like, it's much more um, permissive and frankly encouraging to get a, a, a wide array of different. Uh, types and abilities and games in front of you and to really it's a it's a spar heavy culture right you how do you get better at wrestling you do a shitload of it how do you get better at jiu-jitsu you do a shitload of it you have to do a lot of sparring and boxing too but you're obviously somewhat limited by just how damaging it can be relative to wrestling relative to jiu-jitsu so between the sharing of the economic costs and then the actual ways in which those composite sports worked that's how it got that way and i think a lot of fighters benefit from that but that is in deep contrast to what you see in a lot of other places where, you know, boxers build camps around themselves. They bring in a series of sparring partners. Hey, I got to fight a Southpaw. Let's bring in a Southpaw guy. Let's bring in a coach like this or whatever. And it's all built around them. To me, I would say on balance, it will be better for someone, even in MMA, to be able to build around them. However, one, I would say early on getting a bunch of different looks. So, you know, what, like to build your overall game and also to know, like, what you need and what's missing and what you can piece together. I think working in a team environment at first can be actually quite beneficial for that. Obviously, in order to get to a place where you can hire young coaches, you just have to have the financial means to do that, which most fighters uh, do not and never will. So it's not even really on the table. But I don't think that you can look at these cases and be like, well, if they'd been with the team all along, they would have been better. I'm not sure that's true at all. A lot of guys don't have the psychological makeup for it. You hear a lot of people on teams complain they don't get enough attention. These guys got all the attention that they needed. And, you know, and Stephen Thompson working with Chris Weidman for many, many years at this point, and even before him, other people as well, and George St. Pierre, like, dude, I'm, Stephen Thompson's probably not a bad grappler by, you know, um, sort of like average fighter standards. I'm sure he's actually quite okay. He doesn't use it a whole lot, but he's he's really got some good looks. Dude, Steve Miocic is one of the best heavyweight fighters we've ever fucking seen. Like, if anything, he's proof of concept. And same with Tony Ferguson. Uh, Tony Ferguson, like, he's making a case for late. He wanted to go be around other people. But, like, honestly, I don't know. Like, I think he got pretty goddamn far the way he was. Um, You know, it, it's obviously going to be a... Every individual fighter is going to be a little bit different. There are a lot of benefits outside of even economic reasoning for why you would want to be with a team. Um, but I think in general, the very, very, very best fighters, I'll say this, maybe it's splitting the difference. Maybe it's having like a really small team, right? There's just a core group of guys. It actually was the original Jackson's way. It was like Rashad, Keith Jardine, Nate Marquardt, Diego Sanchez, 
um, you know, Joey Viasenor, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting some other ones. Uh, it was like kind of like a tight group. And then they brought in St. Pierre and then John Jones came and everything, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that to me actually seems like the best one, like these gigantic teams. I mean, they're, they're more like a warehouse. You know, what really is the best one, I think, for MMA is making sure that the elite fighter has really good individual coaching, yes, but being in this sort of competitive environment where they can get a lot of different looks, a lot of share some costs, obviously, but um, they're kind of pooling resources in a way to lift everyone up, not to just defray the difficulty of expense, you know. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, okay. Personal take on Anthony Smith saying that John Jones doesn't have crazy high fight IQ. On one hand, I can see why he might say that, considering at least in recent years, John hasn't shown key adaptations within a fight that decisively took away the advantages of the opponent or exploited a major weakness. But conversely, someone who has, is as defensively responsible and sound as John has undoubtedly high fight IQ, at least for me. Yeah, I disagree with, with Anthony. Um, I do think, and I said this before, I do think Anthony, not so much in the wrestling, but in some of the other components, uh, and certainly even in wrestling at the end of his 205 run, his wrestling wasn't that great. Wasn't that great. You know, against Smith, it was okay. Against Tiago Santos, it was almost non-existent. Against Dom Reyes, it wasn't that great at all. Like, it wasn't that good at the end there. So, early on, it was massively good. Um, but as it got towards the end of his 205 run, whatever you want to attribute that to, his opponents got better, he was not motivated, he's not as good anymore. Whatever the answer is, you decide. No one really knows. Um, so... I don't think that Smith's argument in that context about the, the individual composite pieces is necessarily all that wrong, but his blending of them, which is really the point of MMA. And I think, you know, what is fight IQ? Fight IQ is the decision-making you have in the middle of a fight. What choices do you make strategically? What choices do you make tactically? Um, how do you think through problems? How do you think through uh, any particular situation? That's what fight IQ is, right? I think John's got really high fight IQ. Listen, you you guys know me. I find John to be loathsome. If he never comes back, I don't give a shit. If we never hear from him again, two thumbs up for me. But do I think he has high fight IQ? Yes, I do. I do think he has high fight IQ. Um, and I, I think that that, in general, the tape speaks very strongly to that. Uh, I did talk about this a little bit on MK. Thoughts on Cejudo, Usman, and Gaethje hanging out with Kadyrov. Is there any different sport where a bit of money can make you do anything? Um, disappointing. Disappointing is the way I would put it. I, I, again, I've said this before. I, I've tried the lashing out thing, and I don't think people really want that from MMA media. And more to the point, whether they want it or whether they do want it, the question is, like, what is effective? What's an effective way for someone in my position or a position like mine to... Um, to affect people in a way that is helpful or to, if the job of the media, which is debatable, uh, but if the job of the media in this case is to call out um, perceived wrongdoing, what's the best way to do it? So I'm trying to think this through. I think if I came out on here and I was just like, F this guy, F that guy, It'd get a lot of clicks, but I don't think it, I don't know how effective it would be. I could be wrong. I don't know. Because I've tried that approach, and all it ever got me was backlash. So let's try a different way, right? I've I've, I've had some interaction with Justin Gaethje. I really like the guy. I really do. 
don't know Henry Cejudo very well. Um, I've had I've had Usman in studio for my Sirius XM show, and and uh, I really think he was a wonderful champ and and uh, just a hell of a fighter. I think they're all making a tragic mistake. Tragic. Tragic, tragic, tragic. And it'd be one thing, I said this before, like if it'd be one thing of like, you know, Anthony Joshua taking a bunch of money from the Saudis, but he's not really out there doing a bunch of like dog and pony shows for him, you know? I mean, yeah, he gets asked about in the media, but everyone gives that mealy mouth unequivocal answer. It's, I, I, I wouldn't love that, but I'd be like, well, you know, it's about the fight person in the end. It kind of is what it is. But the reason why this one bothers me is because they have to go out there and then they get put in propaganda pieces that this regime uses basically to subjugate its people and maintain control and burnish their own image. That's the problem for me, right? I mean, again, I don't love that the money has been taken, but if I had to really like pick the issue, the issue is um, that they get used for a dictator who engages in any number of abuses and not that, that these guys are, you know, one-to-one directly responsible, but they play a role in this guy helping to maintain control, helping to burnish his image, helping to do all the things that he does. This is in service of his power. It is in service of his control. It is in service of all the things he does, including all of the abuses, right? I mean, Kadyrov does it for a very specific reason, right? So um, I think that they are making a long-term mistake. Uh, and I don't think that they can, in this particular cl- case, claim to have um, morally thought this through. I just don't think you can do that. Now, I'm sure that the response might be that they are getting a bunch of money and that they're putting that money to very good use. That might be the case, right? Like, I don't know how much they're making. Let's say it's hundreds of thousands, if not millions, by virtue of this. I think Usman, since 2020, has gone three times. Uh, he might be getting a lot of money from that, and maybe he puts it towards his kid's college fund and puts them in private school and, you know, does it to launch a charity or whatever. Like, in other words, just imagine that they did it to take care of their family, not just the existing one, but the next generation of them. You would say that they put the money to good use. That that might well be true, which is why, again, if it was just the money, you know, you don't love it, but I could be like, well, all right, whatever. Um, fight game's going to fight game. What I would really, really, really ask them to do, really strongly ask them to do is, you cannot let yourself be used by a fucking warlord and dictator, basically, for propaganda purposes so they can do what has been fully documented, human rights abuses, gay purge, tortures, murders, you name it. You are helping, not, again, not until like, they're not going and torturing a person, but in, in the way that they're letting themselves be used in these propaganda pieces, I know they're just firing guns, but that's not the story. They are, they are aiding and abetting this guy um, and his control and his image by virtue of their participation. And I think that is highly regrettable. I think they're all smart enough to think this through, and I really hope that they do. I really hope that they do. I don't Going out there and just lashing out at them, you're just gonna get you're just you're gonna get them to lash out back. Usman's a smart guy, so who does a smart guy? And I do believe Gaethje's a smart guy as well. You've heard enough interviews from them where they have thought through problems, they have diagnosed and thought through things. I think that they have put that to the side by virtue of whatever the size of the bag is that they're getting. Um, and I think it's time for recalculating what they've done.
also it just kind of tells you like um I'm not like in any way going to defend Kyrie Irving. The story is mostly closed at this point. Um, but you, uh, some people pushed back on me last week. I saw that people were like, oh, well, you know, because I said like in MMA, people just don't care. And people were like, well, like, you know, this has happened in other industries. Like, look at the World Cup and what? Like, dude, you, yeah, the World Cup eventually did get played despite, you know, thousands of migrant workers dying in slave-like conditions that's true they did play like it's not exclusive to mma but look at the amount of media coverage relentlessly every day about it right first of all i don't think that there is there's just nearly not as much acceptance about standard level evil in other sports as there is like everyone's just numb and everything is mundane and everything is flat and no one no one really stands out and tries to do it. And if you do, they will drum you out from the fucking industry. That's really not the case in other sports. Not not as much. Not nearly as much. Not nearly as much. I mean, could you imagine if, like, let's just pick three, three basketball players. If um, Zion Williamson, LeBron James, and um, I'll just pick someone else, Kyle Kuzma, went and did in Chechnya what Gechi and, and uh, Usman and Cejudo did, like, what would the response be? I mean, dude, it would be worldwide outrage. <laughs> dude, worldwide outrage, you know? And maybe you could say that's too much. Maybe you could say it's too little. You can decide the righteousness of it. But what would it be? It'd be a fucking volcanic eruption of pushback. The team would have something to say about it. The league would have something to say about it. Their sponsors would have something to say about it. Partly, I wonder, because money is so hard to come by in MMA, there's not a lot of blue chip sponsors. There's not a lot of people just raining cash that these kinds of things become more accessible. And maybe maybe the reality is if we had sponsors like the NBA does and the NBA had sponsors like MMA did, you know, or various ways to make money and the money was, you know, imagine every, imagine all the scenario was different. Like however much money you can make in MMA and however many sponsors there are and blah, blah, blah. Put that into basketball and then the reverse, right? Because in basketball, they make it stupid money, Okay. Would basketball players go do what MMA fighters do? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe. I don't know. It, it could be. But all I can tell you is in the world in which we live, um, they couldn't do that in the NBA. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They, it wouldn't matter how big the bag was. They couldn't do it. There would be fire and brimstone everywhere. Uh, last one on this, and then we'll go to the other ones. Luke, uh, does the UFC ever drop USADA? They seem useless. Well, it depends on what you ask what their usefulness is for. Guys, I know that... <clears throat> I'll just say it. I'm not going to give some stupid preamble here. Why did the UFC sign USADA? Right? If you think that the reason that they signed them is because what they really wanted to do was that they couldn't sleep at night. The UFC just couldn't the people who run the organization just couldn't sleep at night thinking about all of the drugs that people were taking and how much it bothered them. I've got a bridge to sell you and fuck. Excuse me. What's the, what's the George Strait line? I've got oceanfront property in Arizona, right? I got oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. Okay. Here is what USADA does. And I don't really have a good argument against this. This to me is actually the reason not only why they did it. It's actually a pretty strong one. It is, it is essentially insurance right? 
you might argue that USADA does a better job than commissions of rooting out performance enhancing drug use. And even I would be somewhat uh, open to the argument. But I don't really think that's what their principal job is. Their principal job is to give them cover, right? We have been very lucky, and the UFC does put in, relatively speaking, far more health and safety standards than virtually any other MMA combat sports promoter. I think there's a pretty good case for that, both on the weight-cutting side and everything else. But it does seem like, and I hope we never see it in our lifetimes, but it does seem like eventually... There's probably going to be in high-level MMA, whether it's Bellator 1 or UFC, there's probably going to be a paralysis case. Um, there's been other ones in amateur or low-level pro. There's probably going to be a death. Um, these things will happen. It's a very dangerous exercise, and it does show that with proper screening, you can really narrow and limit these harms, but it doesn't seem like you can fully eliminate them. If they didn't have this protocol in place, given the amount of hysteria around drug use, they would be potentially open to catastrophic consequences. However, if you have USADA, which again, whatever the public's image of this all is and what the actual reality is, they can be widely divorced. But if the public's image is, well, these are the very best in class for anti-doping and part of the whole health and safety initiative and everything else, which also goes into like, you know, the Cleveland Clinic brain study and weight cutting and everything else. They can say, listen, what else could we have done? We are regulated by the state. We employed USADA. We have a part of the Cleveland Clinic brain study. We try to get in front of weight cutting. What else could we reasonably have done to solve this? And of course, I'm sure there's an X or Y tiny adjustment they can make, but having USADA is insurance. It's insurance against catastrophe for the brand. That's their purpose. That is why they exist. It is nothing else. That is the primary purpose, and I have good reason to believe that. Very good reason to believe that, to know that. So will they ever get rid of them? If that usefulness as insurance against catastrophe for the brand, if they no longer serve that role, sure, you might lose them. But as long as they exist, or if a union got put in there or something like that, yeah, then you might lose them. But... If the Uf would the UFC ever drop them as long as they serve that function? No. No, they would not. Okay, let's go to the comments here. Let's see what you guys got. Foe me. Uh, and then we'll go back. Let's see. All right. Uh, okay. All right. From Kathleen, why isn't there much of a push for Hamzat versus Pareda? There is, but like, guys, there's no way Pareda could make weight on December 10th. Not, not, and like perform well. I mean, he maybe could make it, but like, there's just no way. So it might happen and they might do it, but like on December 10th, I think that is very much wishful thinking. Uh, what did Brian talk about BC do yesterday? That's between me and him and we squashed it. And so as far as I'm concerned, it is over. Love BC. Is House of Cards close to the government you know? <laughs> you mean are like... Motherfuckers just killing dogs with their hands and shit. Like, no, they're no, dude. This is obviously like, listen, 
are there nothing on either side of the political aisle here, by the way? And you just really need to accept that. I know some of you are going to be like, oh, Luke's going to say it about this party or that party. Guys, you got to look me right in the face when I tell you it is everywhere. It is rooted deeply everywhere. Anywhere there is money, anywhere there is power, it is rooted into, and that goes in every direction. Are there absolute dirtbags trying to undermine the goodness of the future? Yes. Yes. There are, I mean, uh, yes, very much so in, in, uh, in sinister ways. But they're not like Gargamel trying to catch the Smurfs, right? They're not in some tower with lightning crashing in the back and they're like, ooh, ooh ah, ah, ah. It's not, it's not like that. It's, it's much more mundane and it's much more um, technocratic. But... Uh, and it exists, but it's not like that, you know. Uh, Tucanator's College Fund because you're the man, brother. Thank you, sir. Cortez versus Hebas in the BBL <laughs> battle on Saturday. Okay, I'll leave that to you for say. Very generous donation. Thank you very much. All right, thoughts on the Liver King getting exposed by Derek? Yeah, we started off the show this way. Um, I'll get into it here very briefly, but um, highly important, highly important. Really, what you see from like the people who know what they're talking about in the fitness industry, they don't say widely different things. And what do they say? Get good sleep, hydrate, take creatine monohydrate, um, employ resistance training anywhere between, you know, sometimes two, but usually three to five times a week, maybe more depending on your goals, maybe less, somewhere in that. Uh, use progressive overload when you train, stick to a program, um, and you know, if you want to count your calories, you can, if you want to count your macros, you can, but you know, uh, make protein, the focus of your diet, make sure you eat plenty of vegetables. Um, don't drink a lot of alcohol, uh, have sex, uh, get sunlight, uh, do a lot of walking. I mean, they all basically say the same fucking shit. Now, some have better versions of getting you to there than others. Some people respond to certain kinds of messaging more than other ones. That's basically it, man. <laughs> They all more or less say the same fucking thing because what they're working off of is like, what does the best data tell us about what creates for success given these objectives, given these constraints for long-term success? It's not going to widely differ. Of course, some people are going to have much more extreme goals. Some people are going to have much more modest goals. Some people are going to have disabilities. Some people are not. Some people are going to like kettlebell training. Some people are going to like barbell training. Some people are going to like running. And of course, you're going to want to have a set of different um, you know, helpful guidelines or expertise, depending on the very specific nature of things. Yes, yes. But the broad picture is basically the same. In fact, if you watch Derek's video on the Liver King, he makes this point exactly both at the beginning and the end. It's like, dude, some of the things this guy says are right. Like when the Liver King says you should get outside and get some sunlight, he's right. He's right. When the Liver King says that, you know, um, uh, he makes a point about eating, you know, uh, uh, various forms of animal organs and, and there's a certain reason why he does that Derek endorses that as well like in fact if you go to if you go to butcher shops like in France people have asked me the countries I've been to right if you go to butcher shops in France or Spain like those people eat way more organs and organ meat than we do um there's a case to be made to eat that kind of stuff when the liver king says that he's right now maybe not in the proportion or whatever but the general idea is correct when he talks about the value of resistance training he's right you know it's not like these things are all widely disparate, but he packages it in this nine ancestral tenants, just totally made up bullshit, gives it a name primal, takes a bunch of drugs to look a certain way, and then tells you, like, if you do that, you can look like this. That's just a fucking lie. It's a lie. It's a fucking lie. You can't. 
Now, if you want to get on drugs and you want to look like the liver king and you are old enough to make these choices, it's your life. Go do what the, go do. Life is too short, man. Go do what makes you happy. But if you are going to sell something to people, right, based on an image and you're telling them this gets you that, you better be telling the fucking truth. You better be telling them the truth. And have you noticed it's always like, you know, most of these, most of the guys who uh, are are experts or genuine experts, remember I told you like the broad strokes, they all more or less say the same thing. I know what you're going to say, like, oh, I watched the carnivore guy. Dude, like the carnivore guy, you know, when I say the experts, I mean like, you're going to find individual things to pick off with them, but like that guy, Syat Fitness or Dr. Mike Isratel or Zach Tellender or um, Lane Norton or, you know, people who really look at what the evidentiary weight of things actually is. The broad strokes of what they say all kind of line up. The people who are, are trying to sell you bullshit, and Zach was the one who sort of spoke to this, were the ones who were trying to tell you, no, 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 it's not that. It's our special system. This is our special system that does it. That's that's a red flag city, man. And then especially if he gives it some goofy ass name like the ancestral tenants, you know, like, you know, it's just ridiculous. So um, getting through specific hurdles, getting through specific questions. Yeah, you do need some expertise to help guide you. But the broad strokes of hydration and sleep and rest and resistance training and progressive overload and protein-focused diets and blah, blah, blah. Like, they're all, they, they, the, the real experts, they don't widely differ from one another. It's all kind of more or less the same thing with specific alterations depending on profile, need, goals, that kind of a thing. Why not Rateng talk the other week? Um why didn't I do it? I don't, I don't know if I was asked Was I asked about Rod Tang. I like Rod Tang a lot, but I the biggest weakness I have in terms of my knowledge of the game, um, I mean, I've got weaknesses everywhere, but the biggest weakness is um, probably kickboxing knowledge. And so I tend to shy away from it because I just don't have time to lean into it to get a whole lot better at it. Uh, what sports and what ages you think a kid would need to l- learn in order to have the best base advantages for a career in MMA? Early as possible and probably wrestling. So six or seven, something like that. You can even go even earlier, but um, yeah, they would need to learn and then you know, accompanying it with something else like gymnastics or something like that. They would need to learn... Uh, function, mobility, um, and then the the ability to control another person. Does the world know how those stadiums were built for the World Cup? If so, why are people watching and supporting the World Cup? This should be the lowest watch World Cup I know with no one supporting it. Um, I think a lot of people are don't care. There is a lot of consternation about it. Um, there's a lot of money in that industry as well, which I think partly does it. I don't know. I don't know what the best answer is. Like, why do people do shit they know is wrong? I don't think I'm the best person to answer that question. I've been a pseudo hardcore MMA fan for 10 years and I'm now going to see my first live card on Saturday. Jesus, you waited a while. Any first time tips or advice? Also, how sick is that one riff in Inhumane Harvest? Uh, Inhumane Harvest is a pretty great song from Cannibal Corpse. Um, 
What I would say is advice. Yeah, don't woo. Uh, go early. Have fun. <laughs> uh, charge your phone so you can take pictures and everything else. Um, if you hang outside the arena, you will meet the fighters when they get out afterwards. Uh, try to go to any free meet and greet events or weigh-ins or anything like that. But like, do I have any adv advice for going to your first live card? Yeah, just be chill, have a good time, and don't get in trouble. I'm not sure the same advice I'd give to anyone going to any. I, I, here's my advice for like going to an NFL game. Don't. Don't. Have you ever seen Islam's fight with Bara? Bara I can't never pronounce this fucking guy's name, the one that Bellator just signed. Did you know Islam cites Mansoor as his toughest opponent to date? Uh, I have seen it. I did not know he cited it that way. Question, can Mansoor beat Usman Nurmagomedov? I still remain quite skeptical, but he is an interesting... I want to see him against like Tofik Musaya before we really get a sense of things. But I will say that he is an immediately interesting addition to the Bellator lightweight division, for sure. How often do you find your material or dialogue regurgitated out of others in the MMA world? Um, I'm not really looking for it, to be honest. I guess you guys would have a better sense of that than I would. Has this ever been a problem? I, You would know better. You would know better. Luke, thanks for the recommendation, Milkman says. On Camp Scoville, you gave a while back, I bought my friend some who loves hot chili, and he needed to build up to the hottest spice. Yeah, it's fucking hot. It's legit hot. It's like for people who are like, interested in actual difficulty uh if you're not it will tear you to pieces but otherwise it's it's great camp school can't recommend it enough uh this person says this is a reply to steve joseph in the qatar stadium the workers who died are overwhelmingly from south asia that is true no one is going to care about poor people from that region also true not even the nations from those regions care uh i bet they do but um what are they reasonably going to do about it is sort of the question. Uh, I remember you said a while ago, you agree with Sam Harris on a lot, but disagree on some things. Yeah, that's true. Is it his views on Islam that you disagree with? Well, I, I don't know that I have the same, like, here's the thing. I don't have the same like hostility to the Abrahamic religions that he seems to carry, but like the broader strokes of whether I think that any of them, by the way, like you're making it about Islam. I'm not. Any of them, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, I, for me, um, they don't offer a very compelling version of morality and any claims they make about the existence of an omnipotent being and their characterization of one deeply unpersuasive to me. But I think having like a hostile, now, of course, there's going to be culture clashes and then value clashes no matter where you go. But, um, I think having like a hostility towards any religious group, aside from the sort of the more, um, I'll say this, individually meeting a person of any different faith and having hostility towards their religious preferences, I really don't like. Having uh, a debate and then, you know, settling on different societal values where those come into conflict, then you have to have conflict. But um, I find that, you know, I get much more out of life and I get much more out of participation when I don't write off or otherwise, 
um, when I don't write off a person or otherwise antagonize them based on their religious affinity. Also, you know, we're talking about billions of people who would disagree with me, right? Like, you know, <laughs> going to be very hard to change their minds with hostility. If the UFC tries to match an all, although I did see he tweet, uh, deleted his Twitter account, and uh, I, I listened to the, well, not the whole episode, but the part of the episode where he explains why, and uh, very sympathetic to it. Uh, if the UFC tries to match an offer Nate Diaz gets, does the other or get to counter offer, then giving the UFC a chance to match again? Okay, if the UFC tries to match an offer Nate Diaz gets, yes. Does the other or get to counter offer? It would depend on the nature of the contract, but typically not. Typically, they get to make an offer, and either that's matched or it's not. It doesn't on go. Uh, there can be, in certain cases, escalating back and forth offers, depending on what the provisions tell you. Typically, though, it's not. Typically, it's here's the offer, here's the counter. Either it works or it doesn't. Looks like Germany is exiting out of the World Cup. Is that true? I haven't checked. If so, they, but they look like shit. They don't look good. Rudiger looks good, but that's about it, man. Well, there's a couple other players that look pretty good, but that's it. Uh, Luke, talking about life is top-notch content. That's... Trying, folks. I've, I've made enough mistakes to know at least something that works. Can you speak to the James Krause situation? Will he start to lose fighters because he is banned from cornering them? Well, it is escalating into a very dangerous and difficult place for him. So if you guys saw, Ontario is now, uh, which by the way is like 15 million people who live in that province or whatever. How many people live in Ontario? Let's see. Population of Ontario, Canada. Yeah, 14.57 million people. That's a big-ass province, man. Um, that's a lot of people banned from doing anything. Um, related to UFC betting, largely because of, not exclusive to the James Cross situation, but certainly in part of it. Um, yeah, it could be real bad. could be real bad. If he ends up, I don't know what's going to happen. And by the way, it could come out that like from the Derek Minner investigation that everything was totally above board. And this is also a big misunderstanding. That is certainly on the table, in which case, you know, I don't really know what to say. But if it turns out that like, not even that that wasn't above board, like that was above board, but there was internal, like, let's say the, the equivalent of insider trading, betting, based on, you know, uh, privileged information. Um, and he is unable to work in any capacity on any MMA card. Um, what happens to his business? <laughs> um, would fighters go there? What would happen to the gym? Like, part of having a gym and training fighters is having an outside connection to make that work if you jeopardize that connection you jeopardize the entire thing um it could be it could be catastrophic for him it's hard to say it's hard to say i don't want you to like take from this luke says it's going to be catastrophic i don't know what it's going to be but uh you know losing a major canadian province being able to bet on i mean it's a horrible look for ufc even if you can say that they're not at fault or at least not involved. You could have said that they should have gotten involved with this earlier, but of course these are independent contractors and how much, you know, there's there's a lot of moving parts of the situation about what they can and can't do, what they should or should not have done. But where they find themselves is not in a great place and they're going to hammer down on this. And um, I've gotten calls from fighters and coaches being like, hey, so-and-so asked me to do a gambling preview. Is this a good idea? And I was like, I don't even know. I don't even know what the good idea is here, um, to be honest with you. Um, 
So it's a it's all confusing. It's all a gray, or a lot of it is a gray area. Uh, let's see what the here's the one thing I would caution everyone: we just don't have a lot of information yet. So we need to be very careful about what we declare to be true, um, and what we say we know. What we know is not much in terms of at least what the public knows. So let's just see what comes out of this and then make some broader assessments thereafter. Uh, theory on why the BMF bill hasn't been used or fought for again, because when they made it, they said they weren't going to. Jesus Christ, if that's what I think it is, that's a huge donation. Uh, Germany is out of the World Cup. Holy shit. Appreciate your content here in MK. Cheers from Austria. You need to visit our country. So I went to Austria. I forgot to mention that. Now, I only drove into it from the German border and then drove out. But I've technically been in Austria. But I didn't really see Austria. You know. Um, what advice for someone's first Columbia trip? Well, first, spell the country correctly, Cooper. It's C-O-L-O. Here's the best way to understand the spelling. In English, they sound the same. Colombia, Colombia. In Spanish, they do not. C-O-L-O in Spanish is Colombia. C-O-L-U would be Colombia. Colombia, Colombia. They don't sound the same in Spanish. So you always have to remember that like with the spelling. It would help you a lot. Advice. Um, depends on where you go. If you go to Bogota, the altitude will fuck you up, so be careful about it. If you're going to go to the beach in Cartagena, um, for any gringo, I would, I would recommend you know, um, doing the smart thing about leaving your passport at home or in a safe place anyway, whether, whether that's in your safe at your hotel or in your Airbnb or whatever, make sure you're using reputable services. Um, if you're not comfortable with your Spanish, I would recommend not getting taxis and just using Ubers, which are now allowed again for a time. They weren't, um, in Bogota, they have something called taxis and they have something called safe taxis. And you should want to get safe taxis, which you can get in like certain, uh, particular places around town. You know, so uh, I would really be careful about that. Um, don't wear like fucking, what do gringos do all the time there? They wear sandals and Bogota and shit just standing the fuck out. Also, here's another thing that they do. Like, obviously, you know, you go to certain parts of Colombia and there's going to be a lot of pretty women. That's a thing. I remember the last time I was in Bogota, this was, I don't know, a year or two ago, something like that. And this Marine Corps colonel. So that's an 06. So understanding the only level above a Marine Corps colonel is a one-star general, right? So you're at the precipice of something big. There was a Marine Corps colonel who went to a bar that a lot of gringos, Americans, frequent. And um, a bunch of pretty women hit on him, right? And they, that was all fine. And um, <laughs> they took him to the south part of town. Yeah, don't do that. Don't get in a car and go to a fucking place that you don't know where you're going. Like, oh, I'll meet you at that bar, you know, and you can see where the bar is and if it's in a good part of town or whatever. But, like, don't get in a car and then, like, oh, we're just going to go follow these fucking people. That's a real bad idea, bro. Real bad idea. So, anyway, they get him back to that place. They drugged him with something called the Burundunga, which is a real drug that makes you essentially uh do whatever's at the whim of the person who gave it to you and ministered it to you they stole his laptop they stole his phone which were by the way government issue they stole all his money they dumped him in a part of town that he didn't know where the fuck he was and he got in deep 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 shit because also remember not only did you lose government property which could have potentially important secrets on it uh adultery is illegal according to the ucmj the uniform code of military justice so you can get in deep shit for that, especially as an officer. So don't do that shit. 
Don't do that shit. Know where you're going. Have a plan. Make sure your phone is charged. Um, don't carry a ton of cash on you. Make sure you have some ID, but leave some of the other parts around. Also, Columbia, you guys can make whatever you want of this, but they check your vaccination records at a lot of places there. That was my experience. So if you're not vaxxed or you don't have your vax records, you're going to be limited to where you can go. This is not me telling you that it's a great thing or a bad thing. It's just a fucking thing. There were a lot of restaurants I was only able to get into by virtue of having a demonstrated record of vaccination. So take that for what it's worth. Look, you said not watching the Qatar World Cup because of their human rights record, and you have no issues watching UFC events in Abu Dhabi. Well, first of all, I get paid to watch, so it's like my job. Um, I wouldn't... Well, we'd have to have a broader... Or in Russia, yeah. Um, I would have to have a broader consideration around... See, here's the thing. It's like Abu Dhabi, like, for example, I've said this before, um, the Lebanese doctor who flew, was it to, was it Dubai or was it Abu Dhabi? I think it was Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it was Abu Dhabi. Lebanese doctor had made a bunch of jokes about him on Twitter. Then he flies there for vacation and they imprison him. So they've got a fucked up record too. Um, the issue with the, with the World Cup was that it's a specific event done in a very specific way and it was done in a really horrific version of it. Like they bribed them, they bribed FIFA to get it, and then had a bunch of people live in slave-like conditions and then killed just for this particular event. The whole thing just seemed not well, tawdry is not the word. The whole thing just seemed insanely disgusting. That is a little bit different. Like I, I agree, there's a little bit of moral relativism going on in my own calculation because the fight game has always been either grease balls are in it, like the mob or there's sports washing and combat sports go hand in hand. You're right. I don't feel great about it. Um, I have to accept that there's a little bit of contradiction there by virtue of um, the nature of my occupation, which I got into not realizing any of this shit. And you're right. Like if I thought better about it, I should leave and I haven't. So um, there's a degree of complicity. Life is not so simple, but I just thought that the world cup was uniquely awful. Um, and that particular heinous, the particular moral heinousness of it to me is not quite the same as just doing business in Dubai or doing business in Abu Dhabi. I don't know that they're morally equivalent, but I do grant that you are highlighting some degree of moral inconsistency in my own actions. Luke, now that Aljo said he's going to fight Henry next, how about Cheeto and O'Malley doing Tough 31? I don't care about Tough 31. P.S. I'd rather be a Commanders fan than a Broncos fan. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Not true. We haven't given you a Dan Snyder rant in a few weeks. Snyder spelled wrong. Uh, did you see how they messed up the Sean Taylor tribute? Yeah, of course I fucking did. They had soccer cleats. They had soccer cleats. Apparently the soccer cleats wasn't the big deal. But, you know, just putting a fucking wired mannequin in the middle of FedEx, like... <laughs> Dude, I mean, they, they can't do anything right. Like, they can't. Whoever buys them out, whenever the fuck that happens, just needs to fucking clean house. Start fresh. Burn it. Burn it. True or false? Spain wins the FIFA World Cup 2022. I haven't seen enough of them to know. I'll, so I'll say false. Volkanovsky upsets Makachev. Probably also false. John Jones comes back and fights Curtis Blades. True. Canelo fights Benavidez in 2023. False. Morning Combat reaches 1 million subs by 2023. God, I wish it were true, but probably false. How many previous or current MMA champions do you think have genuinely not taken PEDs at any course in their athletic careers? Less than half. Less than half. Uh, 
Tone and Candor in the MMA space, Song Amongst Howls. Cheers. Thank you, Jeremiah. Very kind of you. Thank you, my friend. Would you describe the core of MMA as a symbiotic relationship where you screw BC's head on straight while he in return pulls the you-know-what out of your behind? Yes, it is his irreverentness with my sort of curmudgeonliness, but his boxing and my MMA backgrounds come together to make something better than the sum of its parts. Yes. That is, in theory, how it's supposed to go. Uh, watching all the way from Morocco. By the way, I did see Morocco did pretty well, right? We're playing against Spain next Tuesday. Wish us good luck. Yes, of course. Well, that's got to be a bit of a rivalry, huh? Morocco versus Spain? Uh, what do you think? Who do you think wins this World Cup? I haven't seen enough, guys. I, again, I only see what comes down my timeline, and I caught um, a little bit of the USA-England game. I don't think either of those teams are winning. So, uh, I guess France, right? Aren't the French really fucking good? I guess France. Oh, they lost to Tunisia, I saw. Is the UFC media biased towards Izzy? Um, I'm not sure what that means. Probably a little bit. Probably a little bit. Uh, and then lastly, Luke, this past weekend I lost my four. Oh, Jesus, bro. I have three other kids all under the age of five. How do I find joy in things I used to? I. Well, I'm sorry to end on this note on the show. Um Well, dude, I just would say to begin with, you have, uh, I mean, this is tragedy of the highest order, right? This is tragedy of the highest order. Dude, I don't think you're going to be happy for a while, if I could just be honest with you, um, which I don't say glibly, I, I say realistically. I don't know the nature of your son's death or... Um, the path i don't i don't i don't know how to navigate that dude i really don't i don't i don't know what to tell you it's so far beyond my comprehension in terms of how to manage that grief that i uh katuki's out here yelling i, I don't know what I, I i don't know if i could go on without her to be honest with you um and i suspect that you feel that way i would really strongly encourage you to get some help and i uh i know that's a very sort of simple silly kind of answer by the way, you shouldn't even, you should email me, Dylan. You should, e LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. You should email me. Um, I, I don't know what extra guidance I can provide, but to the extent I can be helpful beyond the purview of this chat, I would like to be. Um, you, 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 you need to be in connection with as many people as you can, especially family. Uh, I suspect your other children will desperately need you but you have to take care of yourself as well. You should get some help. You should really, you should get some help. Um, email me, email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. I, I, I apologize for just sort of fumbling through a terrible answer here. I, you know, you sprung a very difficult moral problem on me without having the ability to sort of think this through. I can only tell you that you have my deepest sympathies, um, but the worst thing you could do is to not hold on to everything else around you. Though that's, I know that, that I know. Hold on to everything. Hold on to everything as hard as you can. Um, what'd you think of Black Adam? It's from Othello. <laughs> Dude, you know what? Uh, Black Adam is so fucking terrible. It makes Thor Love and Thunder look like Seven Samurai or some shit. It's bad. It's real fucking bad. Now, it didn't... It wasn't like... Within the first 30 minutes, I knew Thor Love and Thunder was like fucking horrendous. And then it had moments of like, this part was better. And like, again, um, uh, Gore the God Butcher, as played by What's-His-Face, was really great. Dude, The Rock has two faces he makes. He can smile or frown. That's it, right? 
He's got the acting range of a fucking panda, you know, just eating bamboo. Like that's all he can fucking do. Right. It's just one look. Uh, he's yoked to shit, but you know, again, here, another guy who claims chicken and broccoli. Oh, good job, rock. Eh, you know, uh, but the reality is the last 30 minutes, I mean, here's what he should have done. Here's what the rock should have done rather than, um, like to give back to the fans, right? How, what, what should the rock have done? He should have taken jars of piss that he collected himself. There's like urinated in jars, you know, uh, for like a year right? Or however long it would have taken. Like, I'm sure this has been in production for a while. And then rather than forcing fans or even asking fans rather to pay to watch Black Adam, he should have just walked into movie theaters and just chucked his piss in people's face. That would have been a better experience than watching Black Adam. That actually would have, I, I would rather have The Rock toss his own urine in my face than sit through that. I, I couldn't, like the last 30 minutes are like, no one in in that movie making process from him to the director to and to anybody else can claim they gave a fuck about the audience that was a that was they made a thing to turn it into an atm hopefully is what they did which a lot of people do but at least you got to do a good job he might as well have just chucked jars of piss in people's face and that would have been probably better for you long term than watching black adam don't see it you're missing nothing it sounds like, oh, he's really cool, and this could be cool. Could have been cool. Could have been cool. It wasn't. All right. I got to go. That's it for me. This will be up tonight on podcast for those who are interested. Thank you guys so much for watching. And until next time, stay frosty, bitches.